take it you're applauding me being up here. That's the way I took it. Okay. (laughs) It's good to see you guys. How are you? Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Welcome to God's house. We're going to get into God's Word. Nothing better than that. Not for us. Not for you. Not for our Lord. Glad you guys are here. Thanks for being here. A couple things. March 10 and 11. I think that's three weekends. What's, What's today's date? I don't even know. 18th? Right? Okay, so in three weekends, we're going to do a new book. We'll be done with Nehemiah, right? We've got Nehemiah 11 this week, and then 12, and then 13, and then we're going to start Philippians. The book of Philippians can be found in what we call the New Testament. It's four chapters long. Between now and March 10 and 11, your homework is to read Philippians in one sitting. Okay, I did it yesterday, so I'm probably ahead of most of you. That's just a guess. All right? But I did it. I read through all four chapters. It didn't kill me. So you guys are going to be just fine. So try to read all four chapters of Philippians in one sitting. And if you can do it more than once, like maybe once a week leading up to that, please do so. Friday night, we had our um, bingo night fundraiser for Honduras mission trip, whatever it was called. It was incredible, man. It was so fun. If you were there, thanks for being there. If you donated things for the raffles and the bingo prizes and the door prizes or whatever the prizes were, there was just prizes everywhere. It was amazing. Thank you for doing that. Our table was not having much luck winning bingos. And so I get angry because I'm highly competitive, right? So I spared no, our table was just, we're just doling out money for more cards because you can buy, like we wiped them out of cards. Like our table was going to win the last bingo. And we did. What people don't know is we cheated. I just, I, I, I was against it, but then I caved into the peer pressure. My daughter and Jeff Ochoa, uh, they cheated. And then I'm like, I told them, I says, come on, we can't all cheat. And they said, we're going to cheat. And then they cheated. And, then when, and I knew we were cheating. I'm like, bingo, we won. I was so into it, even though I knew we were cheating. So I'm confessing my sins. Or at least Justin, my daughter, Chelsea. So it was so, it was so fun. It was so fun. Lots of people were there. So thank you. Everybody, thank you so much for doing that. I think we raised just shy of $4,000, which is amazing. I think 2000 came from Jeff and I for extra bingo cards, but I left. I told my wife, I said, we're only down 2000 bucks, honey. It's gonna, we can recover. It was awesome, man. It was so fun. Um, you guys have heard in the church vernacular that something called CEOs in churches. There's people that go to church on Christmas and Easter only, right? I, I heard that a few years ago. I thought that was very funny. But there's an element of truth to that, that some people who just don't visit the Lord, visit His house, and spend time with Him will show up on Easter and Christmas. And so Easter's around the corner. And so I'm encouraging everybody to, to be praying for who uh, God would have you to invite. Be praying for some neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, family members, whatever that looks like. Like, Lord, who, who would you have me to invite and invite people because they show up for some reason. And I want them, you know, we want them to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ that sets people free from their sins and, and, and creates a, a, life of, a, a, a lifetime with, with our Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. So um, I want to encourage you to do that. And lastly, if you were not here last night, which you probably weren't because you're here this morning, um, at the 5 o'clock service, um, Pastor Dave was here. And um, he looked fantastic. It was crazy. I was worshiping. He tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around. I didn't expect to see him. And I'm like, dude, you are really handsome. He just looked amazing. 
Um, so he's doing well. He's recovering. He's going to try to work a little bit tomorrow and a couple days this week and, and just kind of get back to life. So thank you so much for praying for our beloved pastor and our dear friend and our brother in Christ. Um, he just looks so good, man. We are indeed in the book of Nehemiah. We are in chapter 11. But we need to recap chapters 1 through 10. This is my favorite part. Okay, so let's recap. If you recall, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is in Persia. What used to be the Babylonian Empire was conquered by Persia. So Nehemiah was in exile, and he's the cupbearer to the king. And in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he finds out that Jerusalem's just destroyed, and it grieves his heart. And so he goes to his boss. He says, yo, king, can I take a leave of absence and go, go back to my hometown and try to rebuild Jerusalem? And Artaxerxes grants him permission to go back, and so he does. And then in chapter 3, we see Nehemiah lead with, uh, with God's people this uh, reconstruction project of the walls in the city of Jerusalem. And you see God's family getting to work. And so progress is being made in the name of God. Well, the enemy doesn't like it when progress is being made in the name of God. And so the enemy ramps up his efforts to destroy the, the progress that God's making. And so in chapters 4, 5, and 6... You see the enemy attack, and the enemy attacks from the outside externally in chapter 4. And then he attacks from the inside internally in chapter 5. And then he attacks personally Nehemiah in chapter 6. But lo and behold, in chapter 7, the wall gets finished. And they're about to populate the city. And and so then everything shifts from the wall into chapter 8. It shifts to the word. And the the word's being read in Jerusalem for the first time in about 150 years. And people start repenting in chapter 8 and glorifying God and realizing that they've fallen way short and they've been sinful. And so in chapter 9, they pray to God and they recovenant with God in chapter 10 to say, we are going to live for you moving forward. And that brings us into Nehemiah chapter 11. I don't know if you're reading in preparation for church. I hope you are. Uh, If you read Nehemiah chapter 11, which I'm sure all of you did, um, it's some heavy lifting, and I love it. I love when we're willing to do some heavy lifting for our God. Um, You know, I I, I don't read names to impress you. Um, If you're impressed, that's cool. You know, that's fine. Uh, But I read the names because they're in God's Word for a reason. And God wants to honor the names of those that have done things for Him, big or small, And so that's why I like to do it. So when I'm done, if you want to applaud, let it rip. But if you don't, I don't really care. Because that's not why I do it, right? Okay, so let's read. I got, you know, I'm all all over the place. All right, am I I on track? Okay, yeah, we did that. All right. So let me do this. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So we reviewed 1 through 10. Chapter 11, I'm getting ahead of myself. Chapter 11 picks up where the early verses of chapter 7 left off, if you recall. They were about to populate the city. And so Nehemiah, the the entire book of Nehemiah, follows a very logical order. Okay, so we're going to pull the lens back. I don't have this on the screens, but if you're taking notes, you're going to like this. So here's the logical order of the book of Nehemiah. Chapters 1 through 7 focus on the construction of the walls. Chapters 8, 9, and 10... There's a spiritual revival going on. Okay, so 1 through 7, the walls. 8 through 10, a spiritual revival where they open the Word and they pray and they covenant with God. And then now in the latter part of Nehemiah 11, 12, and 13, it's about the organization of forming a community for people to thrive in. So one way to look at it is chapters 1 through 7 is about the wall. 
Chapters 8, 9, and 10 is about the Word, and chapters 11, 12, and 13 is about with, being with one another. The wall, the Word, and being with one another. And I think it's an interesting order considering that both the books of Nehemiah and Ezra is about revitalizing and restoring relationship with our God. And so the three words that come uh, to mind for me are the three words on your screen. This whole idea of it follows chapters 1 through 7. The construction of the walls is building confidence that they can go to the Lord. They can be in the Lord's house. They can worship freely. God wants us to know that we can confidently go to him. And so that's what's being laid out in Nehemiah 1 through 7 is this confidence. And then this confession, and that's what happened in chapters 8, 9, and 10 where they confess their sins, they open the word, they covenant with God. And then in chapters 11, 12, and 13 that we need to be established in the community in order for us to thrive and do well as a body of believers. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. So we're going, to put this, we're going to put the reference up and then give it a couple seconds and then go back to those three words that we were showing. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Perfect. So you're going to see some of this in Hebrews 4 and then we're going to read Hebrews 10 in a little bit. Go to Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Hebrews is in, toward the end of the New Testament after, uh, before the book of James, is that right? After First and Second Timothy and Titus, yeah. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, which is Jesus, let us hold fast to our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So we, we have confidence to go to him. We can confess our sins to him. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord, through the book of Nehemiah, is saying, you can come to me, have confidence to come to me. You can confess to me. And then you need to belong with my people so that you can continue to do well and thrive in the family of God. Look at Hebrews 10. Throw up the Hebrews 10 verse and then we'll go back. Yeah, perfect. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. You'll really see this, these three words in, in this passage of Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, church, it's crazy that we have confidence to go to the throne. It doesn't say develop your confidence, work on your confidence. We have confidence because of what Christ did. At any time, anywhere, for any reason, we can drop to our knees and go to the throne. What a privilege that is that Christ made available to us. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He, Christ, inaugurated for us through the veil. That is His flesh, what He did on the cross. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, like we can confess. And full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water from our sin. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. And here's what's cool. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word stimulate means to prod or to provoke. And I've done it before. It's like, hey, how you doing? Right? We're to do that for one another. We're to be in community for one another, with one another. 
Verse 25, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see that that's what Nehemiah is laying out in those, the confidence in chapters 1 through 7, the confession in 8 through 10, and the need to be in community in chapters 11, 12, and 13. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Let's pray. Almighty God, we lift up our time to you. We pray that you are glorified by our lives. We pray that you are glorified by the life of this church. We, we thank you, Lord, for your word that allows us to understand who you are and what you want from us, Lord, and how we can be free because your truth sets us free. It leads us back to you where we belong in relationship with the Almighty, the one who created us in his image. Lord, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Nehemiah 11. Let's get after it. So if you have a a Bible, we're in the NASB. If you don't have an NASB, if you look right in front of the chair in front of you, there's an NASB tucked underneath there. If you need an NASB, grab one of those. If you don't have one at home, take one with you. They're free. We get them for free, so just take one. Okay? So let's read Nehemiah chapter 11. Now what's happening in Nehemiah 11 is they're they're populating, like the city's done, and so now we've got to move some people in. That's just the bottom line, right? Some people got to move in, but not everybody's going to fit in Jerusalem. So some people are going to go in Jerusalem. That's the first half of chapter 11. And then some people are going to move into the outlying areas of Jerusalem in the area called Judah. Okay? Now the leaders of the people, they lived in Jerusalem. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained outside of Jerusalem. And the people blessed all all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now, these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, each lived on his own property in their cities. You have the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. So here we go, Jerusalem. Some of the sons of Judah and some of the sons of Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. From the sons of Judah... You have Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalalel, the son of, of the sons of Perez. And Messiah, the son of Barak, the son of Kolhoza, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, the son of Joyarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of the Shelanite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were a total of 468 able men. Now, verse 7, these are the sons of Benjamin. You have Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Padiah, the son of Kaliah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Jeshiah. And after him, Gabi and Salai, that totaled 928. Then you have Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer. And Judah, the son of Hasanuah, was second in command of the city. Now you have the priests in verse 10. Jediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin. Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of uh, Moriath, the son of Ahitub, the leader of the house of God. And their kinsmen who performed the work of the temple totaled 822. And then you have Adiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Peleliah, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pasher, the son of Malkijah. And his kinsmen, heads of father's household, totaled 242. And then you have Amishai, the son of Azarel, the son of uh, Azai, the son of Meshilamith, the son of Immer, and their brothers, valiant warriors, totaled 128. And their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolam. Now from the Levites, 
You have Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Azrakim, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, and Shabbatai and Josabad from the leaders of the Levites who were in charge of the outside work of the house of God. And Mataniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was the leader in the beginning of the thanksgiving, um, in the thanksgiving at prayer. And Bakbukiah, the second among his brethren, and Abda, the son of Shemuah, the son of Galal, the son of Jeduthun. And all the Levites in the holy city were 284. And then lastly is the gatekeepers, Akab, Talman, and their brethren who kept watch, totaled 172. So that's all the folks that went inside Jerusalem. Now outside of Jerusalem starts at verse 20. The rest of Israel, of the priests and the Levites, they were in all the cities of Judah, each on his own inheritance. But the temple servants were living in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpa were in charge of the temple servants. Now the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, from the sons of Asaph, who were the singers for the service of the house of God. For there was a commandment from the king concerning them and a firm regulation for the song leaders day by day. Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's representative in all matters concerning the people. Now as for the villages with their fields, some of the sons of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its towns and Dibon and its towns and in Jechabzeel and its villages and in Jeshua, in Moladah and Beth Pellet and in Hazar Shual, in Beersheba and its towns, and in Ziklag, in Makona and its towns, and in En-Rimon, in Zorah, and in Jarmuth, Zenoah, Adjulam, and their villages, Lashish and its fields, Azekah and its towns. And so they encamped from Beersheba as far as the valley of Hinnom. The sons of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward, at Michmash and Ijah, at Bethel and its towns, at Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazer, Ramah, Gitaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nebolet, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen from the Levites, some divisions in Judah belonged to Benjamin. Amen? Thanks for... (laughs) You know what? Let's just do that again. (laughs) Thank you. I love doing that. Tony Evans has this illustration. Tony Evans pastors a church in Texas, big church in Texas. He says this. He says... As we have all experienced, most places like McDonald's, for example, offer combo meals. The company has made it easy for anyone to just drive up and say a number. I'll take a number two. I'll take a number two and a number five. Or whatever, right? They have also trained their employees to take orders and always follow up, uh, follow up with this question. Do you want to supersize it or do you want to go big? Well, how much does it cost to go big? I think it costs about a buck. Well, I'll go big for a buck. I don't really know what that means, but I want to go big. All right? Go big or go home. I want to go big and go home. (laughs) The question basically implies that the customer is going to make a choice between taking a regular-sized order or a super-sized order. Tony Evans goes on to say, in the same way, God continually offers to his children the opportunity to supersize what he is offering to them. I love that with just a little bit more of an investment of obedience and commitment on the part of a follower of Jesus Christ, God will make so much more available to him and to her. What a great word for us. See, the descendants of these various families' heads who, who moved into Jerusalem, let me, let, me, let me condense this for you. What we just read, that first half, 
There is 468 laymen of the tribe of Judah. That's verses 4 through 6. In verses 7 through 9, there's 928 laymen of the tribe of Benjamin. In verses 10 through 14, you have 1,192 priests. In verses 15 through 18, you have 284 Levites. And then verse 19, you have 172 gatekeepers. In all, you have listed 3,044 men. So what? We just read those names. All these people, these laymen, these priests, these Levites, these gatekeepers. 3,044 in all. So what? What's the big deal? So they're going to Jerusalem. Let's remind ourselves the context of Nehemiah. Look at chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 10. In case we have forgotten what's happening at this time. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. Right? So Nehemiah shows up. And he's going to start planning to rebuild the walls, right? The enemy doesn't like that. Verse 10 says, When Sanballat, who's a powerful guy, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, when they heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. The enemy doesn't like it when somebody comes to seek your welfare on behalf of the Almighty. They don't like it. Look at verses 18 and 19, also of chapter 2. And so Nehemiah tells his people how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and about the king's words which he spoke to me. And they said, let us arise and build. And so they put their hands to do some good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab, when they heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Look at chapter 4, verses 1 in the first part of 2 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and angry and mocked the Jews. And then he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of the region of Samaria. He's building some teammates. He's building some opposition. Look at verses 7 and 8, also in chapter 4. When Sanballat, Tobiah, now the the group's growing, right? The Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, when they heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were angry and they conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Well, who wants to live there, man? Right? That's what's going on in chapter 11. We're going to populate the city. It's like, yeah, I I don't want to go. Yeah, I'm not so excited about that anymore. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. What did we just read? 7 and 8 of chapter 4, right? Look at verse 11. Our enemies said this, they will not know or see. We're going to sneak up and we're going to come upon them. We're going to kill them and put a stop to the work. Well, that sounds like fun. Look at 16 and 17 of chapter 4. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held spears and shields and bows and breastplates. And the captains stood behind them. And those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and another holding a weapon. Imagine going to work every day, working one-handed. It's like, hey, what, why are you only working one hand? It's like, well, I've got I to have my sword in the other. Right? Hey, here's the reality. I hope you are going to work every day with the sword. Right? Amen? Don't ever leave home without it. That was, what did I just read? 16 and 17 of chapter 4? Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Of chapter 6. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, right, <laughs> that I had rebuilt the wall, no breach remained, although I needed to set up the doors and gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message saying, Hey, let's hang out together about 20 miles from here. But they were planning to harm me. 
So this is what's going on in chapter 11 of Nehemiah. So let's go back to chapter 11 of Nehemiah and reread verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Apparently they didn't have a choice. That's what it means to lead. But the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten <laughs> remained in other cities. And those nine out of ten, the people blessed those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. It's pretty cool, huh? Like one out of ten drew the short straw. Is that how they say it? Like, sorry, dude, you got to go to the holy city. It's what it seems like. Interesting. See, here's the reality. They all made sacrifices. They all came back home. They all made sacrifices. But at times, others simply may be making greater sacrifices than us. There's just times when that happens. I might be making greater sacrifices than you at times. At times, you're making greater sacrifices than me or than one another. That's just life. That's just the way it works. And we grieve for those people who are making greater sacrifices, and we know they're hurting. And we do the best we can to come alongside them. And then it's our turn, it seems. And the the roles reverse. It's just the picture of the church. It's just how life works. The key is verse 2. The people blessed those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. That's the key. How are we commending and blessing those that at times are making greater sacrifices? That's what was so fun about Friday night being here for the fundraiser is that for a period of time, 13, 14 people are choosing to go to Honduras and they're making a sacrifice. They're putting their lives on hold. They're taking vacation time to go and to serve. And are we blessing them and are we commending them when they do so? I think we are. I think we are, Dave. Right? Dave's going. I think we're doing okay there. You guys do really well to the degree that I'm sacrificing for you. And I think many of you understand that it's a sacrifice to be a pastor, right? That can be tough at times. But you guys commend and bless me really well. I have proof. I'm going to show you the proof that I have of how you bless me. Like, you guys, this is my contraband. This is left over from Christmas. I need to point out the evidence, okay? So, uh, in the bottom right, that's an opened box of Hershey bars. That's your normal size. There's, it's a 36-count box, right? There's 36 in that, in, in that box. Thank you, Bill McKnight. In the box that's not open is another 36. Th- thank you, Bill McKnight. Bill was worried because he said, I spent too much on that first box. I found him for a better price, and he just couldn't help himself. I love you, Bill. Okay, so I took one of the small ones out just to give you perspective. And then on the, in the middle, in the back, those are, those are um, XLs. I don't know if you know, they make an XL. And so I have some of those. And then on, on the left, those are called giant. I'm telling you, you guys are so good to me. Thank you, Paninos. I think some of those came from the Paninos. I think they're from lots of different people. That's leftover from Christmas. And it's silly, but I feel so loved and I feel blessed and I feel affirmed by you guys on so many levels. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for letting me do that. I know it's kind of silly, but I can't help myself. Let's talk about some takeaways from our text. Here's the first takeaway. <laughs> Don't be afraid to supersize your life. Don't be afraid to supersize your life or to have supersized moments like those that are choosing to go to Honduras. On Friday night during the fundraiser, I think Mia Stark, right, like was like, I think I want to go, like during the fundraiser. And is she going? She's going. She, yeah, right? And she's what? 15, 6, 17? She's 17? She's so lucky. She looks so young. 17. 
who said, I'm going to supersize my life. I'm just so proud of her. It was amazing to watch. Don't be afraid to supersize your life or have a supersized moment for the Lord if you feel the Lord's nudging you. So we must keep in mind, church, this. 150 years had passed since the Jews were exiled. 150 years had passed since they were exiled to Babylon. They were comfortable there. They were satisfied there to live and to die there. They had followed Jeremiah's counsel to go there. When God was booting them, Jeremiah gave them some wisdom. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. It's a little to your right. After the book of Isaiah. So you have Psalms and Proverbs and then Isaiah and, and then, and then uh, Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. So God's speaking through Jeremiah the prophet, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens, eat produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. And Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to God on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. So all they've done is do exactly what God's asked them to do and they're thriving in a place of captivity. But God says, okay, 150 years is up. It's time to go home. This generation in Nehemiah had never seen Jerusalem or the temple and perhaps had little or no interest whatsoever. Many of them were employed in government or business and they were unable to relocate without paying a great price. Many Jews were thriving in a place of captivity. It's just such an interesting lesson. Sometimes we thrive in places that we really don't belong. And things become comfortable even though we don't belong there. And then what happens is, is all too quickly and all too easily, we lose sight of the bigger picture, which is this, that God's in control, that God has a plan, that we belong to God, that while we settle in one place, we might need to settle someplace else if we are truly His. Hey, here's the deal. It's just something I think we all fight. I think one of the biggest fears we have as followers of the Lord is actually surrendering our lives completely to say, I'm yours, do with me what you wish. Just don't send me here. Just don't send me there. Just don't do this. Just don't do that. It's what we do, right? God, I'm all yours except for, you know, most parts of my life. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said some very profound words. He said, everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Because nothing should come before our God. Nothing. Nothing. And so often we allow things to creep in and take the place of Him and get in the way of Him. Our Lord Jesus Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. Did he not? Made the ultimate sacrifice, his very life. Perfect. In his perfection, he died for our sins. Should we not, in our Christ-likeness, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like. Should we not, in our Christ-likeness, be open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be looking for opportunities to sacrifice for him? Yeah, we should. And I know that that's hard. It hurts. 
sometimes. It's scary sometimes. I'm sure Mia was freaking out. Sounds great, but where's Honduras? What's going to happen to me there? What's it like there? And yet she looked for an opportunity to sacrifice for the Almighty. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, that, do you know, we're to imitate God. We're to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We're to be imitators of God. We're to live sacrificially so that we are a fragrant aroma. So as we walk through church, all we got to start doing is this. Right? It's like, hey man, you're not a fragrant aroma. We got to work on that. Manny is. He smells fantastic, by the way. You actually really do, Manny. Right? Like on some level, we're sniffing each other out to make sure that we're a fragrant aroma to our Lord to live sacrificially for Him to give ourselves up for people. We need to be sniffing each other out, right? Like just walk by your brother and sister and give them a sniff. Make sure they're living for Jesus. It's hard to do, isn't it? I get it. Romans 12.1, very similarly, a passage we probably know better. It says, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God to, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. It's hard. Acceptable to God. It's, it's how we worship Him by saying, I belong to you, Lord. The second takeaway is got two parts. That we, the church, are to live whole. That's part one. And we're to live holy. We're to live whole and holy. Whole. W-H-O-L-E. So let's do the whole part first. In chapter 11, we see the wholeness of a church community. That's what we just read in those 30-something verses of chapter 11. We see the wholeness of a church community. We saw leaders. We saw laypersons. We saw Levites. We saw priests. We saw gatekeepers. We saw in verse 4 these people called able men. And we saw in verse 14 these people called valiant warriors. We see the church. Romans 12.5 reminds us, it says, So we who are many, thank you, so we who are many are one body in Christ. We're one body. We, we belong to one another. And we're individually members of one another. Like, how does that work? That's interesting language. We're individually members of one another. Yes, we make up the body of Christ. We can't escape it, church. We just can't escape it, church. We must be the church. In Nehemiah, we constantly read, if we've been paying attention to the first 11 chapters, he mentions leaders all the time. And he does so in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 11. He starts off, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Nehemiah talks a lot about leaders because God raises up leaders. And people like Nehemiah must pay attention to developing leadership and delegating responsibility. I hope you know I can't do everything, right? Nehemiah can't do everything. And so many of you have, have, have been raised up and are being raised up, and I just can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough. And so the book of Nehemiah teaches us the balance between efficient organization. When you read Nehemiah, you see efficient organization. You see good leadership. You see delegation of leadership. All the while, they're depending entirely upon the Lord. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, one of my go-to verses for what I desire for the church always is Paul writes that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. 
right after this, we have a, a leadership meeting for the leaders of our church to, that we can continue to grow the leaders so that we can continue to do God's work so we can continue to build up the body of Christ. It's just a good word for our church and for the future of our church to just be always raising up people and sending people out and saying, God, we're yours. Wherever you send us, we will go. The second part of that is in chapter 11, we also see the holiness of a church community. Look in verses 1 and 18. The very end of verse 1, it says that one out of ten was to live in Jerusalem, the holy city. And verse 18 says the same thing. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. So we're to live holy as individuals, but we're to be holy as a community. And so it's a responsibility for us to keep this place holy and to rid ourselves of sin and unholiness and rebellion against God. Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books, center around reestablishing Jerusalem as a holy place, a city set apart from the world and yet in the world. And so we can learn what that looks like from these books, Ezra and Nehemiah. Look at this verse in Ezekiel 36. It's just such a powerful verse. And it just grieved me when I, when I read it. It just really gripped my heart. Ezekiel, the prophet, on behalf of the Lord, says, God says through Ezekiel, I will, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned. God's people profaned the holiness of his name. It's been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Oh, church, may we individually and collectively never profane the name of the Almighty. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. We do much for the name of the Almighty when He proves Himself holy in our midst as a church. It's a great challenge for us. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, sin, and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Keep that verse up for a second. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. As I wrestled with this verse, it dawned on me that there's a big difference in how we position ourselves in the world. Perhaps you're like me, and, you, and this is the language you use. I'm, I, I'm trying to be a good Christian as I navigate my way through life. There's... Nothing wrong with that language, is there? To say that I'm trying to be a good Christian as I navigate my way through life. But how does being a good Christian as I navigate my way through life compare with this verse? How does that compare with am I perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Same thing, right? It's just a little bit more pointed. That we, would we dare ask one another, Bill Kahn, how have you been perfecting yourself in the fear of God, perfecting yourself in holiness? How have you been perfecting holiness in the fear of God this week? Oh, well, that's different. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I get it. How are you perfecting holiness in the fear of God? What a challenge for us, right? Imagine if we asked each other that. Daniel, how are you perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Good word for us. Turn to Hebrews. We were there earlier. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. It's really important for our Lord that that he perfects the holiness of his people. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 7 through 11. 
God loves us. He desires for us to be holy. And so He disciplines us accordingly because He loves us. Verse 7 of chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews, it says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? We understand that part, right? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected that. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. God's after our holiness. Imagine. And look at verse 11. (laughs) I think verse 11 is kind of funny. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Oh no, it doesn't seem not to be joyful. It ain't joyful. It doesn't even seem like it. It's just not. Like, I think that's got to be a typo. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Glory to God. I want to make some final commendations before we wrap this up. Look back at Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. Back in Nehemiah 11, verses 15 and 16. It says, from the Levites, there's Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Azrakim, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, and Shabbatai and Josabad from the leaders of the Levites. What about them? They were in charge of the outside work of the house of God. I just couldn't help myself, but when I read that, just think about Mickey McDermott. Mickey, I hope that's okay. You know, Mickey's one of these Old Testament characters that lives to be like 712, Right? Mickey, is, is, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And the guy's like 50 feet up in the air and ladders and he's bouncing on his truck and changing the light bulbs. I mean, the guy just, he's a maniac in taking care of this building. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that about Mickey. It's just, it's amazing. So I'm reading this and, and, and it's not just Mickey. It's people like his wife Sherry and Brad and Dorothy Berryhill and Judy Rooks and Randy Hodgson who was here last Saturday putting plants in the planters just on his own. We have so many people that I'm probably not mentioning, but I just want to say, Mickey, thank you very much. Hey, Mick, there's a spot like right here, dude. Yeah, can you get that out by next Sunday? I'm kidding. There's no spot there. Amazing. Just amazing. And Sherry just shakes her head when she drives up and Mickey's like way up there and he's balancing and he's got a smile on his face the whole time. Just so happy to take care of the Lord's house. Thank you very much, you guys. Here's the deal. Nehemiah knew that the nation of Israel could never be strong as long as Jerusalem was weak. The nation couldn't be strong if Jerusalem was weak. And Jerusalem couldn't be strong unless the people were willing to sacrifice. That's just a reality. Because he who sacrificed for us calls us to a life of sacrifice. And so are we presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, as Romans 12.1 tells us to do? Are we presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice? Or as 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, are we perfecting holiness in the fear of God? It's such a great challenge for us. Amen? You guys are good. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And um, I'm going to pray for us as Chris works his way up here. Let me pray. And if you need prayer after the service, please go see our prayer team down here in the corner. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for sacrificing for us.
we pray, O oh God, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, to the leading of, of you, Holy Spirit, as you ask us to live a supersized life for you. If you ask us to have supersized moments for you, may we do so sacrificially. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.